0: A Tiny Revolution features adults having adult conversations, which means adult language is probably going to be present, just so you know. My name is Kevin Miguel Garcia and you're listening to A Tiny Revolution, a podcast featuring conversations with ordinary people living revolutionary lives. Welcome to episode 38, my friends. I'm super glad you decided to join me once again. Before we jump in, I want to give a special thank you to all of my friends who jumped on Uh, Patreon support this month. Um, It's been really incredible to see the amount of people who are starting to catch this vision of what it means to not only consume different uh, types of media, but also contribute to it. So if you think this podcast is worth its weight in anything, if it's worth a dollar a month, a couple bucks a month, I would encourage you to go over to Patreon.com and learn how you can become a supporter, a sustaining partner, through giving financially one time a month. And there's also some really dope perks that go along with that. So go ahead over to patreon.com and learn how you can become a supporter today. If uh, you were in Chicago a couple weeks ago for the Reformation Project, you know how incredible and empowering it was to be there among so many LGBTQ Christians and allies. And if you want uh, a further experience to go along with that, I would encourage you to check out the Reformation Project's National Leadership Cohort meeting in Chicago this spring. The Leadership Development Cohort is a four-month intensive that is going to take you not only just to the biblical case for LGBTQ inclusion, but a really broad understanding of uh, what it means to be a community organizer, of uh, intersectional, interlocking, uh, racial justice theology, as well as queer theology. It's honestly one of the best and most robust programs that the Reformation Project offers. So I would highly encourage you, if you are someone who wants to be a better community organizer, who wants more conversations like the one you had in Chicago, or just want to get plugged into the broader queer Christian community of activists, I definitely suggest heading uh, over to reformationproject.com trplead 18 It's also just on ReformationProject.org and learn more about that process. Now, the thing is, applications are due November 22nd. That's about a week and a half by the time you're going to hear this. So go ahead and knock that out. It includes a video portion, I believe. There's a lot of questions about your story, what you're already involved in, etc., etc. So get over there, get it done. And lastly, uh, before we jump into the conversation today, I'm going to be at the GCN conference in January in Denver, Colorado, along with a bunch of my friends like Tash Holmes, Darren Galhoun, Gabriel Mata. We're going to be leading worship with you guys this again this year. I'm super excited. And hopefully, God willing, and the creek don't rise, I will also have some workshops that I'll be doing. So keep an eye out for all that information. But for now, go to GCNconf.com. That's g c n c o n f. and register today. Now, let's jump into the conversation. A few weeks ago, I had a conversation with my friend Darren Calhoun and was planning on releasing that interview on Monday, but then my laptop got stolen and then it just got really awkward. So Darren was gracious enough to jump back on the Skype line with me and have a totally different conversation because who wants to have the two conversations back to back to back, right? Um, So a little bit about Darren Calhoun. Darren is a worship leader, Darren is a artist, Darren is a social justice worker, he is a racial justice advocate, he is an amazing friend of mine, and he and I have known each other since uh, we met in the at the Atlanta Conference of the Reformation Project nearly two years ago. Uh, Darren is going to give a lot of his own background at the beginning of, this, of the interview, so I won't jump in on all of that. Um, But in this conversation, we talk about everything from what activism looks like, what it's like going from being super non-affirming of your own identity and trying to repress it to going through second puberty. We cover heavy topics such as um, HIV and sexual health. So if that's something that might be triggering for you, just be aware that that is in the conversation. Nothing too harrowing, but just um, a really frank talk about sexual health. Um, I think that's all the things I need to tell you about. So, thank you so much for listening, and enjoy this conversation with my friend Darren Calhoun.
1: Um, I like to think of myself as an artist, um, as an activist, and as someone who is committed to love, and so how that extrapolates is uh, several ways. Um, As an artist, I've been a photographer for the past 15 years here in Chicago. So my work as a photographer has been um, mostly documenting nonprofits, community organizations, and the work that they're doing here in Chicago. I've also so a part of family events like weddings and portraits and babies and, and all that, so I get to be a part of the parties and a part of the happy moments and the celebrations of people's lives. Um, so making that part of my art um, has been awesome. The other place that my art shows up is as a musician, and I've had the pleasure of being a worship leader at Urban Village Church for the past two years. Um, that's here in Chicago, and it's a church that is anti-racist and a church that is LGBTQ inclusive. Um, so it's a place where I get to bring all of myself in creating a space for people to enter into worship um, and to make music together. Um, that's been a lot of fun. And then I'm also a band member in a group called The Many. And the many is creating music that is for churches and for people who aren't in churches um, that just focuses in on hope um, that deals with the hard realities of our lives um, and just kind of reminds us uh, of the power of love again. Um, and then to to kind of cover that, that whole part of being centered on love uh, is the work I do in activism and justice seeking. Um, I consider myself to be an intersectional justice seeker, somebody who looks at the different ways that we show up, um, whether that be race, whether that is our sexual orientation or our gender identity, um, if that is our socioeconomic status. I think all those those things contribute to the story of the kind of justice that we seek in the world. Um, And so I've had the pleasure of working with organizations like the Gay Christian Network with the Reformation Project, um, or showing up at Pride Parades with the I'm Sorry campaign, or the Make Love Louder campaign. Um, anything that I can be a part of, where we're bringing together people who maybe don't always agree on certain issues, um, but where we're focusing people in on how we can make the world a better place for everybody in it and so that's the <laughs> the big picture of what keeps my world crazy and busy and and not crazy but cr- keeps my world wild and busy um, and where you know we just try to do what we can with what we have.
0: Yeah. There's um, one word I wanted to focus in on Uh, when you're describing urban village church, you described it as particularly anti-racist. And mm-hmm. I think that there's a lot of uh, churches out there who would also say, oh, well, we're not racist. You know, we've got black right. people in our church. But like, what's the distinction between like being uh, a congregation that's anti-racist and being just a church that's not you know out outrightly uh racist like what what does it mean to be anti-racist
1: exactly yeah so the vast majority of people and organizations heck even the ku klux klan would say they are quote unquote not racist i think we have these certain uh caricatures Caricatures of what racist means, which basically means blatantly saying uh, derogatory terms like the N-word or or burning crosses or something mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. And so a lot of people distance themselves from that, but don't get into the work of dismantling the systems that are racism and mm-hmm. the culture that perpetuates the impact of racism.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so that's where we get into anti-racism. Mm-hmm. Um anti-racism is is a commitment to doing work to disrupt and to dismantle those kinds of systems. Um and the systems that I'm talking about are the legacy of white supremacy in this com- in this country. Um and what that means essentially is that whiteness was a thing that was created um to benefit certain people who could Become white, um, and to keep other people out, and that was primarily to make make sure that only certain people could vote, only certain people could own, could mm-hmm. own land, only so certain people could hold public office, those kinds of things. Um, now, a lot of people feel like, oh well, all that ended, you know, back in you know, plug in whatever date. Um, but the reality is that the legacy of those of those um, policies, that the legacy of the cultures that were created out of that, all of that still has real, measurable, tangible impact. And so for our church, um, we're doing the work of first looking within our own institution, within our own church, and going, hey, how how has racism informed our hiring practices? Mm -hmm. How is racism showing up, um, or how is oppression culture in general showing up? In how we select our music from week to week, do yeah. we go, oh, it's just cultural. We tend to play a certain style of music just because that's who's already here. If we keep doing that, then we'll maintain that that challenge where um yeah, that com- that that's been dominant for a certain reason and for because of a certain history, and then unless we really do work to make sure we empower people of color that the voices of people of color are centered. Um, and that we're accountable to people of color unless we're doing that kind of work, unless we're spending actual line item budgetary money mm-hmm. <laughs> on divesting from racism um, and making sure that our culture does not continue in that path. Unless we do that, it's going to happen by default, not because of anybody being a bad person or a bad actor, but because it's the default of our country.
0: Yeah, I I resonate so hard with that um because of like of what I see in at least like the, the churches that I see here in Atlanta, especially a lot of like the larger mega churches. Mm-hmm. Um, because y- when you're following the money, um, right. <laughs> like that's always what it comes down to in so many things. And I think along with being anti-racist um, like an idea around uh, not just for, well, like in, in addition to race uh, discussing things surrounding gender equity and mm-hmm. LGBT inclusion. Like I feel like there's a lot of pastors out there who like they want to do the right thing. But right. but dot 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 you know, <laughs> I am beholden to a board of possibly all white men. And mm-hmm. that board was elected by a group of mostly white parishioners mm-hmm. um who view certain things a certain way. And so it's very interesting to to even to even dwell on it just like that, even like how like money plays such a big role in certain church organizations who like, well, they want to do the right thing. They know that they are doing it, but like they're the people who keep the lights on. Right. Um, uh, They're not ready or they're unwilling to
1: go the distance to bring about justice for people. Right. Um, You know, it reminds me of um, churches, some churches here in Chicago that are known for being, LGBT uh, progressive or inc- inclusive um, in the community um, for being front runners and advocating for LGBTQ people and standing up for marriage equality. But the actual policy of their church does not name LGBTQ people. It The church doesn't currently perform um, weddings. Um, and all that's a matter of the church really kind of bowing to the pressures of the people with quote unquote, the most money, (laughs) Mm -hmm. not wanting to go there. They're fine with it as a, as a public statement and all these other things. But when it really gets down to it, um, sometimes those people who are holding the purse strings are in control and, and determining what the reality Mm. of that church community will be. Mm. It sucks. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) To put it very
0: (laughs) frankly, it sucks. (laughs) Because I think there's so many of us in the meantime that are kind of suffering, not even kind of suffering, but are suffering like the, the repercussions of these like non policies that exist. Um, I'm curious, I'm sure you've heard about uh, church clarity, right. And the whole movement Mm -hmm. there, Um, which I think is personally really brilliant, but there's been so many, uh, not so, I, I guess it's mostly the people who are like our, trying to live in the ambiguous, loving but non-affirming, I have black friends, don't worry, I'm not racist (laughs) kind of world. Um who are giving the most pushback against people just asking for like what does what do you practice? Right. Not because it's very interesting too, just like I want to look at some and I think it also like begs the question for myself sometimes too. It's just like what are my own personal policies like what do I preach and what do I actually practice? You know am mm. I being clear about what
1: I believe about certain right. things? yeah I, I think there's there's such an opportunity for churches here, especially for non affirming churches who want to be safe or safer spaces for LGBTQ people. Um, some people feel like, "Oh, this is a, an attack, or this is some kind of secret agenda to get our nonprofit status taken away." Taken away, and in my conversations with the people who have created Church Clarity, as well as just looking at what the current landscape is, that I think is not a a, a founded fear. Mm -hmm. Um, but there is the real fear that if the only conversation is whether or not a church is affirming or non-affirming, that the churches who are not affirming will get lumped in, in the same category with churches like a Westboro Baptist church or someplace that's been notoriously toxic. Mm -hmm. And so to that, I really want want to encourage church leaders to do the work to make sure that, that, that by your actions that you don't get lumped in with those groups. Mm -hmm. Um, Two of my churches um, are listed on the church clarity site. Uh, Willow Creek that I was a a volunteer worship at worship leader at for nine years is listed as a clear but non affirming church and then my current church Urban Village Church which is a part of the United Methodist Church is listed as a clear affirming church the United Methodist denomination actually hasn't made a decision about this issue Um, but because our church on our website is making very clear statements about what we believe as a community Um, it it is showing up as being clear on the website. Um, In contrast, Willow Creek is showing up as being clear because of uh, the statements that that have been made available from the elders as well as some of the news coverage where where Willow Creek, Creek... Ah, I can't speak. As well as some of the news coverage where Willow Creek has made it clear, hey, this is what we believe. We respect LGBTQ people and and we, um, you know, understand that some people come to a different conclusion on this, but that Willow Creek affirms that marriage is between one man and one woman. That wasn't always the case that they were so clear about saying that. Hmm. Um, I was one person who was a volunteer there for a long time and who definitely knew other volunteers who When we came to the church, we really did look on the website, and we looked for information, and we looked to find out what was okay and what was not okay. And I personally told elders and told leaders, here's where I am and, 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 you know, what's expected of me. And at that point in time, the church was not clear. And Mm -hmm. so you could get one answer from one person and another answer from another person, and someone could be leading a small group or serving in the children's ministry, and it wasn't until someone else decided, oh, well, that's not okay, that you find out maybe two, three, four years into giving your hard-earned life, (laughs) giving your, your, your effort into this ministry, and then being told, oh, well, technically you don't qualify to lead in this position, I think that's that's disingenuous of a church to let that be the case. You don't do it on purpose, but it happens because the people who are making decisions don't have to think about this. Yeah. Um. So I think that if churches really are worried, then they'll have to do the work to be clear to their congregation and be accountable for what they say, um, because sometimes they're. I think they're avoiding people feeling negatively about their church because of this particular stance um and i think that says something that you you're willing to hold people accountable to a certain thing but you don't want them to actually know that they're being held accountable to it yeah it doesn't make any sense (laughs) right like how does that work um and then there's one last critique that i've been hearing um saying, well, we don't want to be called non-affirming. That seems negative. We want to be called something else. And I say, well, well, do the work. Coin the term, you know, get it out there. Um, but you've got you've got to actively engage to to create your own terms or to be known as something other than non-affirming. If you're going to to sit in silence or sit in a passive position and just kind of wait for this new Mm -hmm. nomenclature to to come up it's not going to happen Uh, the affirming language came from churches that were doing work and said hey we want to be affirming and by default it made the other side if you will even though there's more more than two sides of this it made the the other responses quote-unquote non-affirming but i think if churches are willing to do work because i really think that churches that that would say that their side b or hold a traditional view of marriage just because you're your side B or just because you have a traditional view of marriage being between one man and one woman does not mean that your church is safe for LGBTQ
0: people Mm -hmm. yeah I think that has to be and one thing I uh I think one thing people forget is that it is not really up to a congregation to say like whether they're safe or not you know it's not really mm-hmm. up to the the person in power to say, oh, we're a welcoming space. I'm just like, <laughs> welcoming for y- who? For you? Right. For, you know, because like, if you are creating a space that looks like you, sounds like you, you know, walks and talks like you, but, um, and you say, I want to be welcoming to people of color, but you don't have any people of color on the pulpit or, mm-hmm. um, or on your worship team, where your worship team sounds only one way. Um, mm-hmm. And same thing with, with LGBTQ people. It's I, I've I remarked to um, churches in this area that I work with um, that have said, like, you know, it's one thing to say that, like, you know, people aren't coming to your church because they think that they're welcome there. They're coming there because they know that you won't say anything and kick them out. Right. Um, but then there's, like, the people like you and me. Like, everything you were saying in your story about giving your heart and your time and your energy to a space and mm-hmm. your resources to like, people like are like, I was tithing for a, for a long time.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And I'm just like, <laughs> I gave you my money type, right. because mm-hmm. I thought that like I was investing in something that I had equal share in. But right. It turns out that I don't. And like, that's another thing that really bothers me. It's just like, you know, if people are going to tithe their money and you're asking people to tie their money, they deserve you know an equal share in opportunities to volunteer to lead to serve and that's like what's very interesting to me is like at the end of the day like i I could care less about like what people's i mean that's not true i was about to say that i don't (laughs) care about people's theology but i do care about that Uh
1: uh-huh
0: but it's just like like if is it so much to want to be treated like everybody else
1: what a concept right just to you know uh uh Lisa Sharon Harper talks about um, how we need to be protecting and honoring the the image of God in every person. Yes, yes, and and I love that that structure. I love that framework because it makes it so much less about are we protecting and honoring the integrity of the Scripture. It's like. You know, literally, the scripture is about God restoring relationship with us, mm-hmm. <laughs> and 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 God teaching us about who we are, uh, created in God's image and likeness. And so, I think the the best way to to honor scripture to in honor it to in integrity is to make sure that no matter who it is, that we're protecting the image and likeness of God that's in every yes. person. Yes. Um, And that's that's the opportunity that churches can lean into, Mm -hmm. Um, because the vast majority of people are not showing up at your church looking to change your interpretation of Scripture. Mm -mm. So many people seem to be afraid of that, that they're worried about the Bible going being thrown out the window or something. It's like, no, most LGBT people have done a lot of work to figure out where they are with the Bible and, and, and to understand what the Bible says about these topics. Um, now the conclusions that people come to will be diverse and they and they won't always be the same but that doesn't mean that we're not fully devoted followers of Christ mm-hmm. it doesn't mean that we're not willing to make sacrifices and and make changes in our lives based mm-hmm. on what the Holy Spirit is convicting us to do um I mean the fact that we're trying to be a part of churches really I think is a testament to the fact that we believe in the the gathering of believers Mm. that, you know, we want to be a part of a community and be accountable and all these other things. But yeah, accountability might look a little bit different. You know, we, we can't just apply those old rules like the, uh, uh, what is the rule um some of the top preachers would do where they're saying, Oh, well I won't I won't ride in a car alone with somebody <laughs> of a different gender. Yeah. And it's like that's great for you, but that's not my temptation. So yeah.
0: <laughs> Did you ever feel like I know like when I was younger it was just like boys, don't don't talk to girls. We're kissing, dating, goodbye. Don't, you right. know, don't ever be alone <laughs> with a woman. And if you're gonna be alone, be alone in public and i'm just like word i got this like i am right. the most holy guy in uh in youth group because exactly
1: i, <laughs> I was like <laughs> oh yeah i was i was in, i was in a college it was a, it was a pretty liberal school but the dorms were still segregated by gender mm-hmm. and there was a very clear rule about people um of different genders not being able to have overnight company Interesting. and It was like at the, you know, during that season of my life, I was dating guys and it was zero rules for me. (laughs) I could have a guy over and it didn't mean we're being sexual or anything, but literally because you could only make, you could only think through a very gendered construct Mm -hmm. of how you quote unquote, keep people safe in the dorms that it was like, oh, so, so what is this about? Because when you tell it to straight people, you're saying, Oh, well, we don't want anything going on, but you literally have not thought about how you could apply this to, to people who are gay or people mm-hmm. who are not straight. Yeah. And it's like, just, let's just, let's just be real about it. <laughs> yeah.
0: That's, um. I have a, a couple of friends right now who are uh, queer Christians on conservative campuses, like universities. Mm-hmm. And it's like the same thing that they're just wanting to like, they're just like, we literally just want to be seen. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think there's such power in um, giving, giving voice to these very diverse identities that we're all holding onto and that we're like desperate to see. Like, as like, I think sometimes like I'd rather have somebody like name my identity as something that like maybe they even disagree with rather than just ignoring that I exist. Cause mm-hmm. like at least that way, like I'm in the room with you at that point. Because it's, it's so frustrating to, and I guess this goes back to like the non-clarity thing too, is like, just like, like all the pastors who like didn't talk about the pulse shooting, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Or, um, or any num or like pastors who don't talk about the number of, uh, black and brown bodies that are in the streets or, or like when we don't talk about the number of trans women who are being killed every year, it's, uh, it's like. Like, we're, we're at a point in our history and in our world where just, like, if you're not talking about the things that are actually happening, you're going to become irrelevant.
1: Yeah. And, and again, you know, kind of addressing the fears that sometimes drive the rationales. People say, oh, well, we can't talk about everything. We, can't, we don't have time to name every single oppressed identity or so forth. And to that, I really want to remind people that you are talking about something. You do give time, energy, and preference to something.
0: Mm. And
1: it's most likely the culture that you're already familiar with and the music and the styles and the news headlines and the voices and the books and the music of people that you're already familiar with. So you made time for something, Mm -hmm. but it's gone into what you've prioritized. And the reality is that that there's a lot out there, yes, and and you could even – call some of it infinite but if we make life better for the people who are at the margins everyone else benefits mm. if we would take the time to prioritize women to mm. to prioritize people who are sexual and gender minorities mm. to prioritize yes. people of color yes everyone benefits mm-hmm you know, we don't have to worry about oh, well, what about me and my kids and my gener- my my heritage and my legacy? It's like, yeah, you still benefit. <laughs> yeah, you because know, we're... but but now we're including a few more people in the story. Oh, and like it,
0: like <laughs> <laughs> oh, were it that simple? Because like like it, it's it's as simple and as complicated as that, right? Because mm-hmm. standing in front of us is whiteness. <laughs> um to give a little bit of a pivot um i would love to talk about something you and i have talked about a little bit and that's like the fact that you and i you know we came out you know not in our teen years or you know mm-hmm. we did and then we you know went back in the closet for a while or <laughs> became B. for a while and now we're at this we're both at this season of our life that we both entered into like uh like two years ago ish Mm We're like, we're finally feeling affirmed in our identities. And now we're like trying to navigate uh, this whole gross thing called romance (laughs) Um, and experiencing what many have coined second adolescence. Um, Oh, yeah. Yeah. What's what's it been like for you trying to um, figure out who you are as an affirmed individual and then also who you are? you know, trying to venture into a romantic
1: partnership. Oh, you're getting all in my Kool-Aid, Kevin. <laughs> you, don't, you don't have to
0: answer anything you don't want to answer, but just like, I think it's like a topic that people are interested in. And like, I love talking about it personally.
1: Yeah. Oh, I, I think it's, I think it's important that we talk about it. Um, in part, you know, for the reasons you said, as kids, I think we were socialized in this, this very strict world of heteronormativity, or where the only conversation we need to have up around sex and adolescence and relationships are applying to heterosexual children, and so for me, I thought I was this 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 image of perfection in some ways that you know it's like oh no, I always treat girls appropriately and I never mm-hmm. look at them in a sexualized way, and oh, I'm, I'm such a good Christian. Things. <laughs> right i'm i'm being such a disciplined christian christian because i'm doing these things th- this way not accounting for what my fantasy life was like yes. not accounting for where i actually was facing temptation and struggle and and so forth about being inappropriate or, or any of that, oh, no, 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 that's separate. Mm-hmm. And I would even take it further to say that as I grew into my teen years, into my young adult years, the reality was because sex was only ever about men and women, I was um, making sexual health choices that were compromising my, my safety because mm. I thought, oh, this isn't sex. This is falling. Mm. This isn't sex. This is struggling yes yeah and to buy condoms or to um to to make wiser choices about healthy and safer sex those things would have been giving myself over to sin and so mm. i didn't do them in my in my early years because again i was surrounded by misinformation that was only um informed by fear and a and a heterosexual worldview and so it was It was years before I started owning, hey, I need to know about how HIV is transmitted. Mm -hmm. I need to know about if I do decide to become sexually active, what things I should do to be safe. Mm -hmm. Um, And what I see so often for LGBTQ Christians is that we're in our 30s and 40s sometimes having these conversations for the first time ever. Yeah and you, it's a little less socially acceptable at that point you know it's it's more awkward in high school everyone's talking about sex um but as when you're supposed to be a grown up mature adult um who do you ask these questions for <laughs> yeah. you know where where do you turn for for advice and, and so forth Um, So it's so that's part of why uh, we've been talking about second puberty or or this delayed adolescence where people have grown up in very um, conservative spaces uh, often did not get to experience their um, their 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 maturing in that regard. Specifically for LGBTQ people, and also for heterosexual women. Yeah, Um, for sure. Because women often get told, oh, you don't have a sexuality, you don't have a body, you cover up, you, you avoid, you you try to be the most non-sexual person part possible mm-hmm. until the night of your wedding then you flip that switch and all mm-hmm. of a sudden you're this fully mature sexual being
0: <laughs> yeah and you better fulfill all of your man's pornographic fantasies because that's your role
1: right and if he cheats it's your fault or if if you're not doing it right you know just all these ridiculous kind of expectations mm-hmm. that come up yeah and so so yeah, like I I feel like as we as we figure out these new realities and as people figure out what's safe and healthy and right for them um that yeah, we do have to have these conversations more that HIV testing needs to be something that we're not so preoccupied
0: about 100% and also to know like um I was working for a nonprofit for a while and one of our big things was uh taking photographs of people who were HIV positive Mm-hmm. and talking about um the like the, the resources that were available to people who tested positive and um like the guy who was doing our training was a leader of uh he was I think he was like one of the field directors for AIDS Alabama mm-hmm. and he had been living with HIV for I think 4 years super duper healthy like um was uh what the, the, I would say is undetectable which means that like mm-hmm. the, um but I think there's so many people out there who have this such a fear that just like, if I get HIV, like, I'm going to lose my community. And that's simply not the case. Like, there's so much of fear attached to, um, to the knowledge, I think, that people start mm-hmm. to avoid uh, getting tested for all sorts of reasons. Because um, yeah. if you do, if you even look at the numbers surrounding HIV, um, it's still disproportionately high in men who have sex with men and then you drill down those numbers, it's within um, African-American men. And then you drilling down even further, because a lot of CDC information doesn't differentiate trans women of color from uh, from this number. A lot of it's disproportionately high in trans women of color because
1: they can't get work. And so they have to turn to sex work too in order to survive. Right. And I, I think that, again, this is where a Christian community should really own their impact. Um, when we... When we don't give space for people to name their HIV status, um, for us to celebrate individuals who are living with HIV, for us to be part of dispelling the myths and the misconceptions around HIV, um, then I think we contribute to, and I Mm -hmm. think there's even some numbers that are starting to show that we contribute to people not being tested. That people who go to church more are less likely to know their HIV status. Wow, there's there's numbers that are they even saying that people who are part of churches, um, the more active they are in church, the less likely they are to be on medication so that they can be undetectable and eliminate their pot- potential to pass on HIV. Mm. Um, like they're not on medication because of the influence of churches. <laughs> hmm. wow, they wow, wow. Are, right and and even if they're on medication, and this one um this one really wowed me um, but one study is a small study of a, i want to say about two hundred african American men living with h i v it found that their t cells were lower if they were in churches, Shit. and that now this isn't causation, this isn't literally that um that church makes your t cell counts go down, oh, of course. This is instead for us to look at what is the atmosphere of our church and what is the what's the fruit coming out of the way that we're talking about or not talking about this mm-hmm. that's having very measurable impact on people who are in our communities. And, and you know, if church is supposed to be a life giving place, if the community of, of God is supposed to be something that restores people. And if that's not what's happening, then I think we really do need to, to pause and reconsider how we have these conversations. Yeah. Because HIV is not a punishment. Um, it's no. not a death sentence. No. It's it's not uh, some kind of judgment from God. But HIV is a reality that many people live with. Mm-hmm. Um, And that if we want to be a church that is really for all people and that a church that is a place for everyone to, to belong um, then that that too is a conversation that we'll need to to grow up in, that we'll need to uh, to be um, confident in. Um, but yeah, there's there's work to be done. hoodang dang,
0: yeah. <laughs> I think that was yeah. like I could say like a lot of the same things like to go to like a zoom out from the HIV conversation, but along the lines of like risky behavior. I mm-hmm. I was in the same boat. And then also along the lines of just socially trying to figure out how how do I have a healthy romantic relationship with someone where like uh because I think we also because so many of us grew up in the kind of this purity culture where like we're still in some way we kissed dating goodbye but then we never like <laughs> made up with dating, you know, we never like call, <laughs> right. we didn't call dating up and say hey, I'm sorry about that. Like you want to like try to right. say it? So we don't know how, like, to, how to date or, like, how to, like, go and have, uh, you know, like, conversations with people. We, like, it's mm-hmm. almost just, like, every single person, like, I swiped right. Oh, my God, I found my husband. He swiped right <laughs> to me, too. And we have all these, like, conversation or these, like, uh, misconceptions about, like, what this is going to be like. Because, like, the, the truth is, like, it might, might be the first date you go on. It might be the 500th that you go on. Right. Right. Um, and even then, just, like, if your entire hope is built upon, like, just this idea of, like, fitting into this idea of heteronormativity, of just, like, finding a partner, creating a family, and just, like, settling into your own little autonomous bubble, like, that's not revolutionary. That's just adhering to a status quo that
1: someone else has set up for you. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, this this is why I appreciate some of the the, the places that I've committed myself to working with um at the center for inclusivity here in chicago it's about expanding these kinds of conversations and that includes having space for people to talk about non-monogamy um having space for people to talk about um, the different ways that they are existing in the world if that's atheist if that is muslim if that is um somebody who's in a polyamorous relationship if that's somebody who's committed to lifelong singleness or if that's somebody who's asexual, like there's all kinds of ways that people like probably often have been denied of, of looking at the world and um, being able to figure themselves out. Um, but I, I think there's I think there's a need for us not to necessarily abandon what we what we've known. Right. For us right, to right. really take a take a deep think and a and a deep look at what is good for me, how am i wired where where are the ways that um that you know I can be a healthy and and good person in the world um and that certainly can be informed by scripture that certainly can be informed um by what the traditions and customs of our of our family of our or of our people have been um but again I, the the value here is that we give people space to figure this out um, and so that especially means for LGBTQ people that we don't have to jump into a man woman kind of role. It's like you know people always make the joke, well, which one is th- which one's the man in the relationship? <laughs> yep. And it's it's like no. Think of this like eating utensils. You're you're asking me which one is the chopstick? <laughs> mm-hmm. It's not it's it's not a one to one comparison. Um, so I'm not going to figure out. I'm not going to spend my life figuring out how to be a spoon or how to be a a, a fork or a knife when I'm a chopstick I'm going to mm-hmm. be a chopstick yes. and do what I do I'm going to be a chopstick right you know it's it's, it's okay um and so you know there's so many ways that that goes that goes from for being a top or a bottom in a relationship Mm -hmm. that goes for for how we express our gender as masculine feminine somewhere in between or none of the above Mm -hmm. like there's a lot out here and we can again we can be comfortable we can be happy we can we can feel good about where we are Um, but if you're asking questions if you're not sure Um, there's, there's others who are also somewhere along that journey with you. And it's a good thing to find community. It's a good thing to talk to people. It's a good thing to find another perspective and it may just affirm what you already believed about yourself, which is fine, but it's good to know that there's other folks out there.
0: Yeah. I think the biggest thing I've learned in the past, you know, two years is that, uh, I mean, like in addition to like, there's like no one way to be a Christian, there's, like, mm-hmm. no one way to be a queer person either. And that right, has been yeah. the most freeing thing for me, especially as I've begun, you know, exploring questions around my gender and my own gender expression. Something Sue Ann said on Matthias's podcast, I think, it, mm-hmm. this past week, like, like, just, like, really just, like, put something in perspective to me. It's, like, you know, her perspective, like, when she was, like, questioning, like, why do we, you know, call God he-him traditionally – Mm -hmm. Um, and she was questioning that, and she said, well, you know, if God is, like, you know, uh, you know, both male and female, you know, why do we do this? And, like, the answer she got from her campus pastor, and, Suyanna, if you're listening to this, I'm sorry if I butchered your story, but the the real punchline of all this is that it's not that God is, like, equally masculine and feminine, Is that God is fully masculine and fully feminine, like, more than just, like, like, God is the fullness of both of these things. Yeah. And... I think that can do so much good, not only for for queer relationships, but like any sort of relationship um, between people. So we can start breaking down these roles having to do with, uh, you know, a certain kind of role, like a man having to be a breadwinner and a woman having to be the, the caregiver. Um, mm-hmm. And then also consequently within um, same sex or same gender relationship, us having to fit in these particular roles at any given moment, rather than just like a, in working in a partnership that works for either person.
1: Exactly. You know, there's, there's just, there's so much potential for us to be fully ourselves. You know, society is always telling us that we have to cut stuff off, that we have to limit ourselves, that something that we do or some, even some oftentimes something that we're great at you know, a guy who's into fashion or a woman who is very handy, like society will tell us to cut that off so that we can be more attractive. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. And the reality is, it's like, I I really do think we're beautiful. I think we are created in the image of a creator who made all kinds of creations, mm-hmm. you know, not just ones that fit into some very neat, boxes so that we can stop thinking instead one that that challenges us to to think in new ways and to see in in ways we've maybe never seen before like you know I I keep referring back to to Megan DeFranza and and my My favorite lecture hello right (laughs) (laughs) Uh, and how she talks about uh about creation expanding Mm -hmm. and that The Revelation isn't that we get back to to the Garden of Eden, but that we get this new Jerusalem, this new heaven and earth that descends on where we are right now. Mm -hmm. And that is much more diverse and colorful and bright and expansive than what we had in the Garden of Eden. And so it's like... Wow, this keeps opening my my mind to the possibilities of what could eternity look like if it's so much more expansive instead of it becoming more simplified and more narrow. So I'm like, yeah, let's let's live into that.
0: Mm. Ugh Mike dropped me on the floor. (laughs) That was my conversation with Darren Calhoun. You can check out Darren Calhoun online at his website, DarrenCalhoun.com. You can also follow him on all the social medias at hey Darren. And on top of that, if you ever see him in public, go ahead and give him a hug because Lord knows the man is a self-proclaimed lover of hugs. Um, maybe, maybe ask first because consent is cool, that's for sure. On top of that, I would encourage you to check out Darren's band, The Many which is, he talked about it, they're an amazing group of worshipers who are creating music and liturgies that's intersectional and encompassing of the things that we're experiencing today. I know my personal favorite off the off the new album is the title track, All Belong Here. I cry every single time. So if you're looking for a little bit of a cry and a good bit of inspiration, go ahead and check out The Many online at themanyarehere.com. You can connect with me on all the social media at thekevingarcia Just search me. You know how to find me. You can also connect with me over on my blog, TheKevinGarcia.com, on YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, the whole nine yards. And if you think that creating queer Christian content like these conversations we're having on A Tiny Revolution is important, again, I'm going to encourage you to help us out because, again, I am just one person producing this podcast on my own in my bedroom or in my little office at my church. And, uh, you know, it takes time and it takes energy and it also takes money to host these things online. So if you are able to spare a dollar a month, two dollars a month, five dollars a month or seven or 10 or maybe more than that, I would definitely encourage you to go to thekevingarcia.com slash support to learn more about that. Or you can just hop over to patreon.com slash Garcia and learn about the awesome perks associated with being a sustaining partner with this, um, this work of creating movement y'all it's been so amazing to see your support and i'm excited to see where it goes and see what we can do with all the amazing new support that we're getting um and there's also another easy way for you to support if you don't have cash to throw around leave me a review go to your podcast app and leave a review in the apple podcast store it seriously helps connect more people with this podcast people who need to hear a good word about their lives Um, By the way, if you are someone who is in a position to start organizing some events, I'm starting to book out my calendar for 2018. So if you are somebody who wants to create an event, whether it's a workshop on how to talk about LGBTQ inclusion in the Bible, about owning your story, or about any other number of LGBTQ Christian ideas, I would love to create a panel, a workshop, a keynote address, some kind of amazing event on your campus, at your church, in your community. And you can go to thekevingarcia.com to contact me. Um, but let's go ahead and get the ball rolling and get some stuff booked out for 2018 because, y'all, it is going to be a fun year. We're already seeing so much progress um, in our country, honestly. Like, if you didn't see the news this past week, we had so many trans individuals, so many people of color, so many people who are other than Christian who were elected to public office. That's incredible. So if you are somebody who uh, wants more incredible things, you know where to find me. That's all I've got to say for this week. So thank you for listening to another episode of A Tiny Revolution. Uh, Go see a therapist. Be kind to yourself. Take a nap if you need to. Make sure you're getting outside. Make sure you're talking to somebody about your feelings. Um, Go to church if you can. Find yourself a dope community. Like I am about to go to church in like 20 minutes, which is why I have to hurry on this recording. Um, But I love you. You're amazing. And God loves you so much. I'll talk to you soon, friends. Bye. Bye.